Thanks for joining us for another great message from Futures Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to futures.church. And now for our message. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house, all the granddads in the house. It's a great day. And uh, I've got jet lag, so I was up at 3 a.m. this morning, went and got myself, thank goodness, for on the run. They are the saviors of the planet, on the run. Got my uh, donut and my iced coffee, and then went for a swim at 7 a.m. over at the Ark. And what a great Father's Day it has been so far. You know, it's amazing. When you live in Australia, uh, you think everybody in the whole world celebrates Father's Day on the first week of September. It was to my shock and horror to realise that only us and New Zealand, I think Singapore maybe, actually celebrate Father's Day today. Every other nation of the world celebrates it the month after Mother's Day. So they celebrate it in June. So I've got two Father's Day and I'm very excited about that, waiting for the presents to come. First service, my 20-year-old son Benjamin called me in the middle of service, so I decided to answer it while I was preaching. We had a bit of chat and in the, in the uh, Worship time, my grandson Judy decided to FaceTime me in the middle of the service. It's just incredible. Uh, so it's been a great day so far and uh, really, really excited about uh, sharing with you today. What so many amazing things happening in the life of the church. What great songs we're doing. Who, th- who loves the new album, the Futures album? If you haven't got it, make sure you go to Spotify. Make sure you put it on your playlist, download it. I heard BU last week was incredible. Wasn't it incredible, Pastor Jane? It was, okay, it was awesome. A great day last week and a great weekend, incredible. And so, very exciting times. Well, for me, uh, today is my first Father's Day without my dad. My dad died three months ago, as many of you know. So it's my first Father's Day. And so I wanna share with you today lessons I learned from my dad. And so I don't want it to be, you know, uh, it's not just a, warm, fuzzy Father's Day message because dads like not just to have warm, fuzzy things, we wanna have practical things, how to live life well kind of stuff. And so today we're gonna do that and I'm gonna give you what I have distilled from so much of the wisdom. He was the wisest man I knew and uh, you know, he wasn't the greatest sportsman. My brother and I easily exceeded him in sport and in music but I'm gonna tell you what, he was wise. He had a gift of wisdom on his life and he shared that wisdom. You know, he wasn't a highly tactile person either, but his wisdom and ability to make decisions, the ability to know what to do at the right time was phenomenal. And so what I'm gonna try to do today in the short time that we have together is try to give you what I'm calling the four harbour lights. If you're watching online today, we wanna to welcome you as well. Um, four harbour lights, and this is different from any other story you've heard of the three harbour lights. This is my own makeup of the four harbour lights. And uh, it's really a putting together of the key lights that you need to have in place, the lighthouses that you never place if you wanna live a great life. I started following these four lights uh, 35 years ago, it was a theory. I've now lived it for three decades and I can tell you it's a truth that changes your life, sets you up, sets up the generations that come after you, sets up your family and allows you to live life 
how God intended it. Not mistake-free, for sure. But I wanna tell you, these four harbor lights will change your life. And so we're gonna, you can see on the back screen is that little graphic I had made about the four harbor lights. And on there, there is the story that goes behind that graphic. There was a passage that was so difficult to sail through, so many hazards, you know, um, reefs and all kinds of tricky currents and, and so on, that many ships uh, found themselves at the bottom of the ocean. Many ships crashed and burned because the lights had not ever been put into place. People were trying to navigate from their feelings, from what they knew in the daytime. But as you know, when there's a storm, when, you, when things are different, you can't navigate. Like a pilot can't navigate in the middle of fog by what they see or what they feel. They've got to navigate from the instruments. They've got to know what their instruments are saying. They've got to trust the instruments in order to come safely through that fog. That's why some pilots can't fly at night. Well, they're not night rated until they're able to actually trust the instruments. And in this case, uh, uh, these ships had to keep their eyes on these four harbour lights, these lighthouses at all times. If they could see all four lights at the same time, they would safely navigate through the narrow channel. They would avoid all the pitfalls, the rocks, the different things that were in the way that were there to, to destroy them and they would make it to the other side. I don't know about you, but I wanna make it to the other side. I wanna get to the end of my life. I wanna be able to say, you know what? I lived a good life. I lived a life that was full of purpose, that wasn't stormless, but I didn't have more storms than I should have for a normal life. So we're gonna talk about the four harbour lights uh, today and... Um, I want us to pray and then we're gonna get right into it. Father, I pray, bless this word in Jesus' name, amen. Short prayers, don't you love them, right? Let's go to Matthew 7. It says this, a good man, a good tree even, a good tree <laughs> produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. In fact, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Pretty logical. In our world, we're always looking at the shiny new object, the fruit, we're trying to look at the fruit, but we're told here by Jesus that a bad tree can't produce good fruit no matter what things it does and a good tree can't produce bad fruit no matter how hard it tries. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And then Jesus said this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beat against that house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching, listen to what he's saying. You listen to what God's saying. You listen to what the Word of God's saying, what the Logos is telling you. And he says, and don't obey it. It's foolish. It's foolishness to know truth and not follow it. 
He goes like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, because they will. The storms will come, there will be trouble, there will be storms, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And in that injunction by Jesus, we have a very powerful template on how to live our life, make decisions, think about our children, think about what we're doing, how we're living. Now, how many know that storms are a part of life? Grief, loss, trouble, pain. It's all a part of life and there are storms that are in our lives. But how many know that in Adelaide, storms are a part of winter? Storms, if you're in Atlanta, they're a part of summer. And these big thunderstorms come and let's say in Adelaide it starts raining. You know, it's more drizzly than it is massive thunderstorms most of the time. But imagine if it just rained and rained and rained and it rained for 100 days. Do you think the rain that we need after 100 days of two inches a day of rain would be good for our city or bad for our city? I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be bad for our city. It's gonna be floods everywhere. There's gonna be destruction everywhere because storms are meant to come and storms are meant to go. But in our lives, storms come, storms go. But what happens if there's a storm that keeps on going for two years, one year, five years? We don't have a storm, everybody. We have a disaster. We have a problem. We have a root issue that requires more than just an umbrella. Requires more than just sitting in your warm, cozy house. There's an issue if the storm is continuous. It's not a storm if it's going on and on and on and on. It's something far deeper that you need help from. But storms come and go. So what I wanna teach you today is on Father's Day, I'm a, I'm a big optimist that you can start today, that no matter where you are in your journey, you can start again. In fact, I start again a lot. Right, I have these reset buttons a lot. I gotta get it right a lot. And maybe you're the same. Maybe you're, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're super consistent. I, I'm, the, I'm the guy that just gotta give myself the wind up every week. Come on, this is the week I'm gonna make it. Right, this is the month I'm gonna make it. And, and, and maybe that's you, but I, I believe that optimism is powerful. Don't, don't get so depressed that you just can't get out and make it happen and go, I'm, I, I just can't go after it. Let today, Father's Day 2023, be a launching pad for your greatest year ever as a father, as a grandfather, as a parent, as a child. Be your greatest year. Come on, it could be the launching pad. You're gonna look back in 2024 and go, whoo, 23 was incredible. And I'm gonna tell you, it's very, very possible if you follow the four harbour lights, I promise you, you will sail safely through every trouble, every trial, every sunny day, and every storm that comes your way, you will sail through to the other side. It may get scary, but your ship will not sink if you follow the four harbour lights. So let me give to you the four beacons and what they are and a bit, a bit of detail about it. First of all, the first one uh, that we all heard, and we've heard it before, but let me say it to you again, it is super serious. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. It's 
a dad joke, right? It's Father's Day. I just kind of adding to the father joke kind of deal here, right? And so what it means is that I've got to put Jesus first. Jesus has to be first. If Jesus is second, Jesus might as well be a hundredth. Jesus is not prepared to share first place with anything else. And Jesus said it himself. He was talking to a bunch of people who were in, uh, in challenge and trouble. They were actually being dispossessed by the Romans. Their economy was in shadows. Interest rates had gone up. Uh, all kinds of stuff had happened for them. And Jesus comes with a material answer for their material problem. It comes to a, for a, for with a powerful spiritual answer that, ad that addresses the physical problem. And he says this in his great manifesto in Matthew 6. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What things is He talking about? Well, He was talking about food. He was talking about clothing. He's talking about uh, all those kind of things that are at Maslow's first level of hierarchy of needs. God's gonna give you all those things that you need if you put me first, Jesus says. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. So Jesus ties in worry and putting Him first. If you put me first, all the other things that cause you worry will be fixed because putting me first means that when I'm first, I can do the things that what a first person can do in your life can do. Jesus is not talking about spiritual benefits only. He's talking to a crowd about emotional benefits, mental benefits, physical benefits. Chasing after Jesus, it means Jesus is in every decision. Jesus, how does this honour you? Me taking that job promotion that takes me to the far ends of the earth, is that helpful to me and my family as it relates to you and your kingdom? Is it helpful to go here? Jesus, what do you want me to do? And the answer may be yes, but the answer it may also be no. But I've gotta put Jesus at the center. First thing I do in the morning is pray. The first thing I'm thinking about when I get my paycheck is tithing. The first thing I'm thinking about in terms of the church is how can I boost it and bolster it and build it? How do I get involved and share my time? That's what Jesus first means because I can love Jesus, but His body, which is the church, which is the representation of who Jesus is, needs to be nourished and fed well so that Jesus can be seen as a a person who's doing well. When people see us, they see Jesus and therefore nourishing the body of Jesus is really important. You know, a lot of people have Jesus as their Saviour, but not as their Lord. And unless He's first, He's nothing. I think one of the things that we need to realise in our lives, right, is this. We expect God to move on our timeline. We work by calendars, right? God, you're gonna move on this hour, this hour, this day, this day, this day. God doesn't move quickly. God moves suddenly. Right. It's one of the great lessons you can learn, one of the great wisdom things my dad taught me. God doesn't move quickly, He moves suddenly. Right. I, I believe, this is my own thoughts, I believe God gives us five triple zero calls in our life. Most people, a lot of people, should I say, no one here, of course. But a lot of people live on, God is on the speed dial of zero, zero, zero. If you're in America, it'd be 911, right? They have God on speed dial and God doesn't respond except for a few times in our lives 
for the zero, zero, zero phone call. He will get us out of trouble, but he's trying to do more than get us out of trouble all the time. He's trying to get us to move forward. He's trying to get us to move forward. So you got five phone a friend opportunities and that's it. Maybe he'll give you six, I don't know. I'm just making that up, but I'm telling you this is how it works. And this person, here they are, one day in one direction, the next day shocked at how Jehovah Jireh, one of the names of God, suddenly is providing into their darkest and deepest and most difficult moment because He is who He says He is. He is Jesus. He is our all in all. He is our everything. He is the God of the universe who created my name and created my purpose and created who I am and knows everything about me from the beginning to the end and He's working backwards from the end. He's already got a plan that He's written for your life and He's trying to get you to get in line, get on board the car so He can drive that car to the destination that He's plan for your life because He wants you to be a walking billboard to tell the world out there that Jesus is alive. How can He do that if you're walking down the road instead of hopping on the car and putting Him first, letting Him drive instead of you drive? And I said to them, and I say to you, first harbour light, Jesus must be first. He must be first. God was so serious about this that in Exodus 20, He said this, you must not have any other God but me. Look at that, it's pretty serious. We'll get to the New Testament in a minute, but you must not have any God but me. You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, this is the kicker, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish, listen to this, I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Jesus, if you're thinking, maybe uh, you know, came to deal with the 10 commandments, says, look, hey, the 10 commandments can be wrapped up in these two. Love the Lord your God, this first command, with all your mind, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, all your physical capacity, all your intellectual capacity, all your emotional capacity, all your spiritual capacity. Love God with everything. Surrender it all to Him. And God says, listen, I will not tolerate. I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Just imagine, Pastor Jane and I will have been married next week 37 years, I believe. <laughs> 37 years, 37 years. Now imagine I go to Pastor Jane on the 13th of September and I say to her, hey, I notice you're tired. It's been a long stretch, almost four decades. Got married when we were at 12. Four decades and uh, look, I met a couple of women that have become my girlfriends and I've just decided to move them into the house, right? I decided, and I, and listen, I'm doing it for you because you still are the best and you're still my number one, but these two other women, they, they'll just make a difference in the house. They'll just, they won't get in any way, they'll be fine. Can you imagine how that conversation goes? We don't have to imagine, you already know. Speak to the hand, bye, see you later. 
Because here's the deal. Jane is very jealous of my affections, like she should be. She is a custodian of it. So here I am saying, but you won't care if I bring two other women to live in the house with us. You better believe she cares. And that tells you, you know, even as I'm telling it, people are recoiling. You can feel yourself recoiling. Oh, what a terrible thought. But that's what we do with God. Oh, we just got a couple other girls we brought in, God, a couple other guys we brought in. You won't mind if we have other gods too, wow. do you? Wow. You don't mind. He says, I'm very jealous. In fact, I'll tell you how jealous I am. It'll go down to your kids and your grandkids, but if you love me, only a thousand generations will be blessed. Right, he's saying, I wanna be first. I wanna be first. I wanna be first. Okay, number two, the second harbour light. Gotta get through this before the end of the month. <laughs> second harbour light, right? And I've been up since 2 a.m., so I, this is like a night service to me, right? I feel like we're at night service. We're gonna go out for pizza afterwards and all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. Second one, second harbour light is the promises of God. Now, what Jesus first does is give you primacy. He is my all in all. I'm gonna serve Him totally. He is the number one. He is God. He is the leader of my life. He is not in the passenger seat. He's steering my car. I resign as the CEO of my life. And the second harbour light are the promises of God. Now the promises of God give me my true north. They give me my direction. So Jesus, you drive, but Jesus, you've got destinations for my life that you wanna give me as guarantees that, we, that you wanna do for my life. And we have, most people are in two camps. Either you haven't got any promises from God because basically you just think, well, I, I, I just didn't know you could do that. Well, you can't. And there's people in the Bible all the way through, I can show you, all the way from Abraham, God gave him a promise. Remember, I'm gonna give you a child. God gave him a promise. I'm gonna get your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He gave another promise. He said, guess what? I'm gonna be your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Promise after promise after promise after promise after promise, not just suggestion after suggestion after suggestion. Just like the 10 commandments are not the 10 suggestions. So the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. In other words, when God says it, He's not a man that He should lie. It's not an idea. It can't be thwarted by economics. It can't be thwarted by a bad business partner. It can't be uh, destroyed by, by someone else. But you, of course, I, myself, we can make decisions that get us off track and shipwreck our life. We can turn off that light and crash into the rocks. But guess what? The promises of God give me my true north. They give me certainty. And God wants to give you promises about your children, promises about your family, promises about your spouse, promises, specific promises. Then there's another group of people that go, well, there are 7,000 promises. This is like a Chinese restaurant. I'm gonna go in and find my fortune cookie with its little saying for my life, right? And we think, well, I can take, I think I'll cherry pick that promise. I think I'll have that promise. Those are part of the Logos, the entire revealed Word of God. But inside of that, God wants to give you Rhema, which is a subset of Logos, which is the declared Word of God specifically for a situation in your life. And I've done the research, all the great men of God, women of God had promises. David had seven major promises. Solomon had seven major promises, somewhere between five and seven. The Apostle Paul had promises. Peter had promises. You could go through all the men and women from the Old and the New Testament. 
God gave them specific promises. They weren't just spiritual promises. You know what? I'll make you, I'll make you more spiritual if you follow me. He gave them specific promises. You will not die for another 15 years. I'm gonna make this promise to you. You're gonna outlive and outlast this person. This is gonna happen in your life. Specific things about specific issues and God wants to give them to you. I remember sitting down over on this seat on the 1st of April, 1995, feeling like I'd lost everything and it was a dark season of my soul and God gives me a promise out of Psalm 128 that I wrote in my Bible for my whole family, for my wife, for my sons, for everything. He says, you'll eat the fruit of your labour, blessing and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man who fears the Lord. And boom, God took this general promise and gave me a specific promise that has come to pass today. I see it every single day of my life. It was a promise from God. God wants to give you promises about the soul saved through your life, health. Who would love a promise from God about your health? Come on. Psalm 103, He restores your youth like the eagle. Who'd like to have that promise? He redeems my life from the pit. He restores my life. Though an army besiege me, Psalm 27 says, even then I'll be confident. I will see the Lord in the land of the living. In a dark moment, when, when David's writing the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. What's happening when he's saying the Lord is my shepherd? He's running away from King Saul, who's trying to kill him. As he's running away, he writes this psalm, he's gonna take me to pastures where I lie down or I'm not stressed out, where I'm not being chased, where things aren't coming after me. He's writing about how God's gonna, like a surgeon, restore his soul, take out the pain of the rejection of the person that he served and yet God's gonna restore to him and surely goodness and mercy is gonna follow him all the days of his life. He understands the power of a promise. When you have promises, life changes. Number three, the third harbour light is wisdom. Anyone getting anything out of this message? Yeah. This is what my dad taught me in his various ways. I'm trying to condense, so we live in a fast world, so I'm trying to give it to you like a fast food at McDonald's so you can take it home in snapshot form, but these are built over decades and decades. The next one is wisdom. The next harbour light is wisdom. While Jesus first gives you the absolute priority and promises gives you absolute certainty, wisdom helps you build practically. I have the spiritual stuff right, I have the full destination right, but now I come to how do I build my life and the Bible says it this way, wisdom has built her house. Wisdom in the, in the book of Solomon is a, uh, is a woman that says this, it takes on the identity of a woman that says this, wisdom has built her house, she has set up its seven pillars. Why do you think the number seven is in there? I know all the, all the Christians will say because seven's perfect. But you know, let me give you another answer. Yes, that's true, but a seven-pillared house is a big house. A seven-pillared house is a big house. You can have a teepee with one pillar and live a small life, or you can have a big life with seven pillars. And the Bible says that wisdom wants to build a big life with seven pillars that create room and breadth 
and bigness. So God can bless you spiritually, but He also can bless you financially. He can bless you financially, but also bless your marriage. He can bless your marriage, but also bless your kids. It's a big house. He can bless your business. He can bless your emotions. He can bless your mental health. He can bless your physical health. It's a big house. And He says, wisdom has built her seven pillars so that this big house can be built. I'm gonna read to you Proverbs 9, right? And get some of the Scriptures. This is what it says. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Wisdom is calling out. Hey, will you listen? Will you listen? Will you listen? I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to get wisdom into you. And it goes on, it says, does not understanding raise her voice? Man, you don't want to have your wife raise her voice, but this lady raises her voice. Does not understanding raise her voice? Why? Because there's something urgent about the skills to build a big house, not just a little tent. Anyone can pitch a tent, but it takes a skilled builder to build a house with seven pillars. Verse two says, at the highest point, everybody say highest. Highest. Say it again, highest. highest. At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Where does wisdom sit? Wisdom sits at the highest point. Think about the highest point for a moment. When we wanna drive and we wanna go to Ranella from whatever place we might be in Gaul or whatever, we put in the street of the person's name that we wanna go visit, we put it in maps, we put it in the GPS, and somehow magically it tells us turn right in one kilometre, turn left in two kilometres, go down this road. We can all remember the days, those that have been around for a little while, when you were, when you were so excited when they brought out the CD for the GPS. Right, and if you were lucky enough to buy a car with a GPS, wow, phenomenal. And only 2013, they came out with Google Maps sometime around there, so not very long ago. But how do they do it? They put a satellite in the sky. And what does the satellite in the sky do? The satellite scans the traffic, scans the roads, finds where the traffic jams are, finds where the accidents are, finds where the dead ends are and gets you to avoid all those problems by taking you down a path that's the quickest, easiest and the one without error. And the writer to the book of Proverbs says this, wisdom sits like a satellite at the top of your life, seeing all the good spots, the bad spots and those in between. And if you'll understand that wisdom is the director of your journey, that wisdom is the blueprint creator, the builder that makes everything work for you, then you'll go after it with all of your heart. It says, beside the gates of where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gates leading into the city at the entrance. What does she do? The imperative of this scripture, put that scripture up again, and at the imperative, the imperative of this scripture is that she's shouting a lot. She raises her voice. She takes her stand. She cries aloud. Please listen to me, you simpletons. That's what it says in Proverbs somewhere. The simple man has no understanding and he wanders down the way of the adulteress. It goes on and talks about all those kinds of things, right? It tells us that wisdom sits at the highest point to help you avoid the pitfalls and the troubles and the accidents. 
Who would like to go through a life where you avoided that partnership that took you almost to ruin? Or you avoided that relationship that almost destroyed everything? Or you avoided that decision that got you into trouble that you didn't need to be in? Who would have liked to have had a satellite saying, don't go this way, go that way, put it up, put your hand up. I know I am, right? I, I, I would want that in my own life, why? Because life can be better. Put up your hand if you think life can be better. Life can be quicker. Life can be smarter. Wisdom cries aloud. Will you let me guide you? It's a bit like the woman in the car and the man in the car and the man will not stop to ask for directions. And that's why wisdom is a woman. Because the woman will stop and ask for directions. The man will just blunder along. So husbands, if your wife shouts aloud, like it says here, women just say it's biblical. Women is crying, wisdom is crying aloud, raising her voice. But it's Father's Day, so don't do it too often today. <laughs> wisdom allows you to see what lays ahead. Oh, if I could see everything that lay ahead and I could avoid the bad spots, it'd be pretty awesome. Be pretty incredible. Remember a guy, someone saying to me, he says, he'd made these big decisions. I told him not to do certain things. He'd made these big decisions, big mistakes, big outcomes, bad outcomes. He goes, well, we all make mistakes. I said, I certainly don't make the ones you make, that's for sure. That's not because I'm better. It's because I've sought after wisdom. Jesus first, promises of God. And then wisdom is the practical day-to-day -day building blocks of a great life, saying what you need to say when you need to say it, shutting up when you need to shut up. Ask for directions instead of driving around. I, I hate asking, I gotta say, my pride means I don't like to ask for directions either. So I walk around the shopping centre and I will walk around for 15, 20, 25 minutes and look for that thing without ever asking a shop attendant. There is not one woman in this place that thinks that's smart and does that themselves. They go to the first one, where do I find this? But all the men just keep on wandering. I see them in, the in Woolies and Coles. See the men, you can see all the stupid men wandering around. Am I, am I saying something wrong and untrue here? It's true. So wisdom must be the most important thing. This goes on, it says this. Wisdom must be the most important thing to you for you to get it and you have to choose it. Listen to what verse 10 says. Choose my instruction instead of silver a knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies. None of us believe that. Take me to Tiffany's and you won't, you'll have a problem. And nothing you desire can compare with her. That's why I keep telling the Jane, I'm not taking you to the, the diamond store. I'm not taking you to Tiffany's because I'm choosing wisdom <laughs> instead of rubies. I may have just chosen divorce. The point is, <laughs> what do you desire? What is it you desire? We desire lots of things. And yet the Bible tells us that what you desire, as precious as it may seem, is nothing compared to the wisdom of a great life. 
Solomon had the dream, God says, you choose wealth, honour, fame, or wisdom. He says, I'll have wisdom, thanks. Why? Because it is the core of everything else. The resultant of that choice, even though God gave it to him supernaturally, was that wisdom will build a big house and produce all the things that you desire anyway. Listen to what it says in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. Prudence is not a character from the 19th century movie. Prudence is discretion. Prudence is knowing what's ahead. And wisdom and prudence and discretion live together. When you find a person who has no discretion, you find someone without wisdom. Wisdom always seeks counsel. Let's keep moving. Wisdom always seeks counsel. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, says wisdom. Listen to that, counsel and judgment are mine, says wisdom. I have insight. She sure does. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, we're not talking about the city council, by the way. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 11, without wise leadership, a nation falls, for there is safety in having many advisors. Proverbs 24, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Let me tell you the only reason God gave you friends, or one of the only reasons, let's just broaden it a little bit just to make the point. One of the reasons why God gave you friends is only really one major reason is for support and help and encouragement. But so many people go to their friends for advice, go to your friends for support, and some advice will be thrown in. But don't treat them as your advisors unless they are, don't have a conflict of interest with you. Well then, if they did, they wouldn't be your friends, would they? As soon as a person's a friend, they have a conflict of interest because all they want you to do is be happy. So the Bible's telling us we have to go to advisors that are experts in their field. And that doesn't mean that we have one person who's the expert in everything. We need to have expert advisors in different areas of our life. For instance, when I'm doing, I've got financial problems, I do not go to the doctor and ask the doctor to help me solve my financial problems. In the same way, I don't go to the builder and ask them to solve my medical problems. Hey, builder, I know I've seen you with the plumbing and, and the toilets and all that stuff, and you seem to be good with pipes. I've got a couple of pipes that seem to be giving me a bit of a problem. I don't know what to do about these pipes. What do you reckon I should do? Right? I feel like you know a lot about pipes. We all laugh, is it stupid, right? You don't go to the, the builder, the plumber, to get advice about your internal pipes. You go to a doctor. Sounds silly, but it's true. You go to a lawyer and you don't ask the lawyer to help you build your house. I tried that with Philip, it never worked. See, the point is, you gotta go to the builder to get building advice, the lawyer to get lawyer's advice, to go to the doctor, and it seems so simple, but I need to build those. Wisdom says build those advisors into your life. That's why so many people are messed up and mess up because they never seek counsel or a secret from a friend. A friend is just there for your happiness quotient. They're not there for wisdom and guidance, so they may give you some guidance have others as well that have no conflict of interest. Number four, wisdom is the power to rule in every arena of life. Listen to what it says. I, wisdom, have power. 
by me kings reign and rulers decrees that are just, and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. Listen to what it says, the kicker. Wisdom says, I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. It is the greatest promise you'll ever get. You gotta go after Jesus first. You need to get the promises about the future so you can be, you can be bullish and you can be full of faith and go for it. But you need wisdom, which is the pieces of the Lego to put together, making right decisions to put it there and put it there and put it there. And it says this, I love those who love me. There's the music. Wisdom says, get off in a few minutes. And those who seek me, find me. Put up your hand if you would love some more, a, a, a dose of wisdom just dropped into your life. Come on, put up your hand. I promise you, you can get it through life experiences by which stage you'll be too old to use it. Or you can get it by a download by God. Moses was filled with, the, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands upon him. Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because God came upon him. I want it now. I need to build my life now. Too late to advise another generation. I wanna build it now. The last thing is spiritual disciplines. While Jesus first gives you the absolute priority and promises give you absolute certainty and wisdom helps you build practically, spiritual disciplines keeps the primacy of the four harbour lights in focus. My spiritual disciplines, getting up at 5 a.m. to pray first, right? Maybe have my donut first and then pray, but whatever. Very close to first, very close to first. I get up and pray. I've got to put that into place. If I don't put that into place, then I'm going to lose my dependence on Jesus. I'm going to lose my sight on the true north. I'm going to lose sight on wisdom. And so the spiritual disciplines keep the fuel and the fire going inside of me so I can continue to build this great life, this grand life that my grandkids and my kids can look at and go, I want to be like you. I want to be like you built. I want to build like you built. When I look at my dad, I think of it and I go, you know what, I wanna build like him. I wanna keep building, it's a long time, right? I've been going a long time, but it's like, God, I wanna, I wanna build one of the things he said. You know, I remember him saying, he said, listen, you know, you're part of this, this comment. He said, listen, Ashley, if you're gonna suck at anything, don't make it prayer. My mum would be very displeased if I used that word in church. But the point is this, those spiritual disciplines, they keep the fire burning. If you follow the four harbour lights, I can guarantee you, you're gonna have a great life. I can guarantee you, you're gonna be blessed beyond measure. I can guarantee you, your children will rise up and call you blessed. I can guarantee your wife or your husband will say, you are the smartest and the best thing that ever happened in my life. I can promise you that generations to come will say, thank goodness for a granddaddy, great-granddaddy and great-great-great-grandma because they did this and they taught us that and look at their lives and now look at our lives. Things my dad did that I'm benefiting from, things that my dad did that I'm living because of, those things I'm passing on to my kids so they don't have to constantly work from the bottom up but they can like a ladder keep climbing, seeing further, doing more, being bigger, being stronger, living the life better. Why? Because that's God's purpose and God's plan for our life. And church, 
reason we are here today is because of the heroes that have gone before that have built their lives out of wisdom and built their house and built the church out of wisdom. And we get a chance to build it for the next generation so that generation after generation after generation says, you remember that church that's now 150 years old, now 190 years old? Their people in that church in 2023 did some things that were true, that were life-changing, and we are living as a result of what they did. That's what we want. That's what I want. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you, and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward, and I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.